Welcome to the Neo Judge Juan podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we continue our discussion on Tan Zhu Lin, the Yang-style Tai Chi practitioner. Uh, we talk about his later life, uh, his teaching style, and get a little bit from one of his students about him. Uh, as well as stories about his relationship with the Yang family. Uh, then we turn back to the Tai Chi classics uh, from Baiwa's book, and we discuss the notion of keeping your intent in the Dandian, uh, and what that means in terms of practical things in Tai Chi. Uh, this week in the Patreon episode, uh, we continue to discussing uh, Taoist meditation as well as looking at the Cantong Chi, which is a very old Taoist text on internal alchemy. Uh, so check that out. Uh, also on the Patreon is the extended episode where we go into much more detail about the Tai Chi classics as well as a few more fight stories about Tan Zhou Lin. So check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and be well. Returning to our discussion of the uh, Taiji Chuan martial arts tradition, we're going to continue the story of Tian Zhao Ling, one of the famous Yang style Tai Chi masters, um, who was teacher of Lin Du Ying, who was teacher of Bai Hua, whose book we've been exploring. According to this article by Leroy Clark, uh, Tian Zhao Ling grew up with the Yang family and became one of the prized sort of sparring partners. Um, and then he follows Yang Shaoho as sort of his top student. Um, and he gets into some scraps along the way. So according to the article here, it says, um, those who observed Tian Zhaolin's teaching practice at a park in Shanghai from the early 1950s to his later years, Chan's push hands practice with his students and others was particularly impressive and amazing. They described Tian Zhaolin sparring with people as being like a wheel, a wheel fighting. That is, an opponent would come forth, touch hands with Tian Zhao Lin, and quickly be sent flying as if they had run into a rapidly turning wheel and had been repelled off. From 6 a.m. to noon, he would teach and push hands with them. Um, that's pretty cool. Like, that's, they would run into him and then be repelled off. So, like, his big thing is repelling and sending people flying, it looks like. So far, every technique he's used has involved, uh, it must be push or or a press to send people flying away. Whereas some of the previous masters had like, you know, poked people in the throat to make the whistling of the birds and stuff. But this guy seems to be pretty push focused. Yeah. Just I mean, an observation. I think this is, you know, this is what the like thirties, forties, something like that. Well, yeah, it says in the early fifties. Yeah. All so, right. So yeah. So this after is, the war, right. I mean, this is way after the, I mean, this is after... This is the end. He dies in 1960, I think, so... Yeah, so, I mean, now we're talking the era of, like, you know, jets and, you know, like, things like that. So, I mean, this guy went from, you know, horse right. and buggy to... <laughs> to... Jet fighters. Jet fighters in his lifetime, so, I mean... Yeah. Um, and this is after the Great Leap Forward and Starvation, right. you know, pretty tough time period So in the 1950s I mean... there. Yeah, pushing hands is uh, about as far as I think anyone was really willing to go right. at that point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Tian Zhao Lin would just smile and teach without ever taking a, taking breaking a sweat. Hour after hour, every day, day after day. 
Many, many people came to learn from him. He was a throwback and a reflection of the early young masters. He would push hands with anyone without even asking their style or their names. In a flash, they would all fall to the ground, one after another without fail. His teaching and practice was a fascinating sight to behold. All of his students were good at push hands. There was a port worker who was skillful in Shaolin boxing. Once, he tried to secretly attack Chen Zhaolin from behind while Chen was push hands with another student. Chen didn't even turn around. He simply made a certain kind of vocalization. With that sound, both the student and the attacker were launched four yards away. Then Tian turned around and asked the port worker if he had been hurt. That port worker felt shame and apologized for his rude behavior. Tough guy from the from the docks gets launched. With a shout. Sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Another time in the 1950s, Zalin participated in a charity event in Shanghai. He demonstrated the rare Taiji skill known as Lin Kong Jing. That's an empty force. Uh. It says a Shaolin master was there and thought it was a trick. He became incensed and bellowed that the student was a fraud. He expressed a desire to challenge (laughs) Chen Zhaoling. A relative of Cheng Fu's student, Dong Yingjie, was there and stopped the challenger from going ahead with fighting Chen Zhaoling. Ah. Dong Yingjie's relative said that he knew Chen Zhaolin and absolutely understand that he would have seriously hurt the external boxer if the two were allowed to fight. But that's right at the end of Chen Zhaolin's life. He's an old guy at that point. Yeah. But maybe this relates to that electricity thing he was saying earlier where he could just his mere touch could cause people pain and stuff. And here he's doing Lin Kong Jing, which is the, the highly suspect practice of throwing people back without touching them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is kind of, I mean, one view of Tai Chi, right, is that the, the, sort of the benevolent view essentially is that the highest level is you don't hurt the person, you bounce them away like that, mm. and then they... With a lighter and lighter touch. So you barely even touch them and they go flying. Right, and then like the guy he shouted at, they realize mm. the error of their ways and they, <laughs> you know, reform their... So themselves i mean it doesn't explain here but some Lin kong jing is like okay someone stands far away and pushes with their hands and somebody fakes being shoved back no, but there's think... also the idea of just like cooperatively following somebody's energy and like moving your energy through each other and stuff which isn't a combat technique but it's a way of just super high sensitivity so you could move without even feeling they're actually moving yeah i i'm guessing you know? i mean this, that's cool like i'm moving. guessing in this it was a a very light touch yeah a, from a distance. that's what i'm hoping anyways because dang yeah. but you know the chinese martial arts does have a showman side to it like all martial arts and sometimes they uh they'll do party tricks to, to wow the crowd that are not necessarily that gonna apply directly to uh right i mean he might have just there there's a way you can just bounce people you know and that so he may have just been doing that thing where you know the it's more about the person being pushed than it is about the boon right pushing right i mean that so you could demonstrate your sensitivity by falling back when someone before they even move because you feel their energy somehow or yeah i don't know of limited value but you know a classic trick for sure well, when it's done well, um, which is pretty rare these days, but I think the idea is that it, you know, was a training tool, not a fighting technique, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was a sensitivity exercise essentially, and um, it, it was, you know, 
uh, wow the audience if you did it right and so it was a way of kind of right again i mean it's like it's sort of taking to an extreme you're taking a sensitivity drill and making it extreme as can be i mean how do you show fighting skill without fighting right Right. Well, I mean, chances as good a way as any. Right. right. I mean, that's because that's kind of the situation they were in, right? It was it was like the the era of the Lay Thai, you know, 1928 competition where everybody gets together from every different school and they all you know duke it out. That was gone. And it was like, yeah. you know, there, there were not that many people still floating around who right? I mean, the old on. way. So if you and with a the, mass starvation going through society, it's probably not like the greatest. Exactly. Time for I mean, there's arts, a right? lot going on. So I mean, I think that's where just the fact that he was teaching at all was kind of right. Yeah, it makes deal. him stand out for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A lot of you know the fifties was probably the hardest time. I mean, as far as I mean, yeah, just like how, how do you pick which time is the hardest in 20th century China? Like it just goes from bad to worse over and over. Well, as far as being a martial artist, right? At least yeah. in at least in the 20s and 30s, you might still be able to get a gig as a bodyguard or you know something like that. And but by the there's 50s, still food. Yeah, the, by the 50s, <laughs> it was you know every man for himself kind of thing, and and. I don't know, doing push-ins in the park has never been a particularly lucrative, uh, you know, endeavor, so. So, on another occasion, uh, his grandson liked to describe how a Shanghai gang came to their home to attack his grandfather. The gang members knocked on the door. Tian Zalin opened the door, and without warning, the thugs attacked him with an axe. Tian Zalin managed to thwart the attack and struck the thugs, launching them all out. They fled immediately before Tian could follow up. Interesting. Again, he just launches them. Yeah, it does some launching, even though they have weapons. I mean, and this recalls a little bit of, you know, I had that note from my notebook where Kumar mentioned something about his teacher, Lin Du Ying, being involved in Shanghai underworld activities. Well, here's Tian Zhao, you know, Lin Du Ying's teacher, He's right. in a gang fight with a, but he may have been in a gang himself, if you know what I right, mean. Right, 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 right. <laughs> the gang showed up at his door because he was from the other gang. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, but then again, that could have been a year later, that's a government agency, you know, an enforcer for a, a warlord or something, right? Yeah, so, like, exactly you, the right. switch between gangs and officials like goes back and forth in that uh, era for sure. So uh, this article uh, then moves on to the end of Tian Zhaolin's life. Tian Zhaolin was hospitalized in Shanghai in 1960. Some four months earlier, his wife of many years and mother of his three sons had passed away. This tragedy had shaken him so much that he became increasingly listless and ill. One night, he woke up in the middle of the night and told his son of a dream he just had. In the dream, his teachers, Yang Jianho and Yang Xiaoho, came walking towards him. As they approached, he noted each was carrying a red lantern to receive him. They mm. welcomed him, smiled, and beckoned him to rejoin them after all these years of separation. Uh oh. Finally, Tian Zhaolin advised his sons he was now going to rejoin them, to be with them again at last. With that, Tian Zhaolin smiled and quietly passed away. This event showed his close relationship with the young family. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds like he was a sort of adopted son kind of situation where they were just truly good bros and loved each other. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. 
So that's maybe why Tian Zhao Lin has such a uh, high reputation among Yang style people is he was good at it and he was in with the main guys and and then he kept teaching longer than most. So he he's that last living connection to Yang Jianho, right? Like by the night by 1960, there was nobody else around who could remember that far back, right? Not many. That's for no. sure. So he was kind of the younger of that group, maybe, and lasted the longest, anyways. Because a lot of these guys you don't hear much about after 1949. Nope. So I wanted to continue our look at uh, Tian Zhao Lin and his experience as a Yang style student. Basically, we've talked about Yang style and Wu style, the the, the top student of Yang family. Well, this there's these other students of the Yang family, including this guy Tian Zhao Lin. Um, obviously, his student Lin Du Ying is who we were initially interested in, but there's this other guy. Huang Wen Shu, and he writes a book called The Skills and Essential Yang Style Boxing, The, Sk the Skills and Essentials of Yang Style Taiji Boxing and Martial Arts Discussions. Um, and this is from 1936. And it has mention of all these same guys that we've been talking about, just from his perspective. So I thought we'd look at some of the stories he tells here as he's kind of a contemporary of Tian Zhao Lin, but also maybe kind of beneath him a little bit. But uh, he's he trained with Yang. This guy Huang, he's trained with Yang Cheng Fu, and he's he's got stories of the old the older members of the family, anyways. And so he he also asks Tian Zhao Lin to tell him some stuff as well. So I thought we'd just uh, pull up his section on about Beijing Yang style because that's kind of what we've been talking about this whole time, more or less. Um, so he gets so he tells us the basics. The inheritors of the teachings of Yang the Invincible Lu Chan. Include Yang Banho, Yang Jianho, Yang Shaoho, Yang Chengfu, Wu Jianchuan, and others. Each performs in a different way. But the differences mostly divide into two classifications, large frame and small frame. I once asked Yang Chengfu about this, and he told me, first, strive to open up, then strive to close up. In the beginning of the training, it should be the large frame, which can get your sinews and vessels stretched out, boosting the flow of blood and qi. This will put you in a position to then manifest skill. When it when the time comes to apply the techniques, you will have to be quick and fluent. And for that, you will need the small frame. The way my elder brother Yang Shanghao practices, it's all about fighting methods. So here's Yang Cheng Fu's description of large versus small frame. First, you learn large frame to stretch your whole body out. Then as you try to do the techniques, you're going to learn to do the small frame so that you can do more uh, better at quick, sharp, fighting techniques like young shaoho regardless of the style essentially you always want to start with that thing of opening your body up strengthening first. opening connecting right? unifying that's the negong essentially yeah and that, it's easier to do to get your body to open up in a slightly more extended posture like a really extended posture is not so easy and a really tight posture is not so easy but there's right. that sweet spot in the middle where you're just naturally comfortable right and then uh, then you move in that space where if you will it fits your frame you know and this is where i think my personal view is part of the reason why the Yang Cheng Fu, for example, was the large frame is he was a large guy and the he just had a natural 
And it was also, you know, this idea that he was teaching, trying to teach people how to open up their bodies more than he was right. The sinews and vessels, the blood and the chi. Yeah, those are that's important for everyone. So, like, it also has to do with push hands versus fighting, right? That that push hands you can do that with the big open stuff. You can't really fight just having your arms out in a big ball. But well, the way this guy Huang writes in the book, he says, you know, in terms of skipping ahead to the fighting, he says, in short, fighting is not something you need to face every day. Whereas health, you cannot do without for even a moment. There you go. Let us then ask ourselves what is more important and more urgent. This book is yeah. full of common sense rather than grand theories. If you can proceed in a steady way, you will find that although there's not much more material in the day of it, there's more than enough for a month and your health will benefit. I mean, that's the modern concept of Tai Chi in a nutshell, right? That right. Like, I mean, even if your job entails you that you might have to fight, right? Like you're a cop or you're a security guard or mm -hmm. something. Probably doesn't happen every day. Uh, but what does happen every day is getting out of bed and like getting up and having to do stuff. And the Tai Chi guys have at least in the last you know hundred or so years have really taken the um the view that uh being healthy and feeling good is it's part of being able to fight in a sense because if if you're all busted up and you have a bad knee and a bad back and a bad shoulder and your fingers are all right arthritic, you can't defend you ain't fighting well. nobody right um, so, you know, the, that, I think that's where this comes from. And then at a certain point, if you're like, okay, well, my practice is about health so that I can fight, but then you realize you never fight. It's like, well, what am I doing all this fighting stuff for? If I'm not actually right. fighting, I could be putting this right. time in. Be realistic, man. Yeah. Right. So it's like, what are you practically doing? You know, what's the practical you know, reason for why you're training the way you are. And I think that I, to me, it's very logical that like, you know, you can use Tai Chi as a health art. You can use Tai Chi as a fighting art and you can use Tai Chi as a, let's call it spiritual or meditative art, right? All of these things are, you can do them separately or simultaneously. They're all in there. So some schools, you know, pick one and stick with that particular vein and other schools, you know, pick another one or a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. And, you know, it's just like that's kind of has to do with where you are and what you're doing. If you're training to fight, you know, you don't care about, I mean, you, you might care a little bit about your health, but the the... Bigger thing is going to be what are these movements for, you know, for as far as, you know, fighting. And then if you're just an old guy who, you know, wants to do Tai Chi for his health, you might be interested in the fighting thing on a, you know, sort of tangential thing because it's like, who doesn't find martial arts somewhat cool? But that's not going to be your focus. Your focus is going to be like avoiding having a hip replacement or you know dealing with your arthritic shoulder or something right, right. so 
Yeah, I mean that's the reality. So, and they've been talking about that since 1936. So, at pretty, least I pretty mean, well known. Yeah, he says a typical student nowadays, they usually want fast results, hoping to g- be given Taiji boxing skill in just a few steps and attain decades of learning in just a few days. Yeah. So then he goes on to talk about the boxing set of Yang Cheng Fu, who is Yang Cheng Ho's younger brother. Mm-hmm. So he says the boxing set of Yang Cheng Fu was stretched out and supple. The techniques soft and heavy rather than uh, sharp and heavy. It has been described as a steel bullet wrapped in silk, for there is hardness within the softness. Taiji boxing enthusiasts have all welcomed his version. Yet there are still those who are reluctant to push hands with him because every time he issues power or someone is struck by him, that person falls down more than 10 feet away. Mm. His students still have a hard time bringing themselves to experience his power. I have often asked Yang Cheng Fu why the teaching has to be done in this way. He has said, if it's not like this, if there's no demonstration of power, if the teaching is casual and vague, why should people come for it? Wouldn't it just be a waste of their time and money? So people don't want to push hands with him because he keeps slamming them all the time. That's pretty dope. He's like, hey, come on up. I'm just going to throw you back down, you know? Well, and again, I mean, it goes to this thing of, if you come at, somebody with everything you've got and they can just kind of boink and push you away but that's pretty like they don't even have to fight me they can just kind of bounce me right. away their skills so high that you get right I mean, and more than 10 feet i mean so the students had a hard time bringing themselves to experience his power which if you've been in a martial arts group there tends to be a few who come to the front and the rest sort of stay back and don't yeah. want to be beaten <laughs> Yeah, I was always first. You're more of a front of the class type of guy. I was always <laughs> right there, like, let's go. Uh, so the next thing he says is, in the autumn of 1929, Yang Cheng Fu became the dean of the Zhejiang Martial Arts Institute. I have often pushed hands with him. Sometimes when I tried the double-handed push on him, he would seize the opportunity to pat my chest. And before his fingers had even touched my jacket, there would be a dull pain in my chest for a moment. As to why this would happen before his arm had even made contact, how could I feel this pain? Could this be said to be some sort of boxing art folktale? I asked Yang Cheng Fu about it, and he said, after all this time, I still don't understand how this internal energy stuff works. I love it. That's, That's awesome. He's like, This is Neijin. He's like, look, I just strike and you fall. <laughs> I don't really, I'm not going to explain it. Because honestly, it's true. Like, when you get beaten by your teacher, you just take on what they do and beat other people up with the same thing. But you can explain it, but you don't need to explain it. It's you can make up whatever explanation you want. Like it just it comes from the teacher to student. It just that's kind of how it happens. You can't yeah. think about this stuff. In other mm-hmm. words, the explanation of Tai Chi can't create Tai Chi. The person to person transmission is how you create Tai Chi. Then you put the explanations on top of it. I mean, it's the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao, right? I mean, how come we always end up saying that? <laughs> it, well, because I mean, it's really like, um, what what that's really saying is that I can do it in the moment because of the training that I've done. Yeah, and I don't know why it does it what it does, but right. I know what, what you need to do to be able to do that. Right. Um, I mean, you could explain energy moving mm-hmm. with through one, you know, acupuncture meridian to the next or whatever, like, and many people do, but at the same time, it's that doesn't, like, look, but, right, do but, it. but that doesn't actually, that doesn't 
help you. I mean, right. you could know all of that and you still wouldn't be able to right. be, not be able to do it. Right. Whereas I mean, if you can do it and you may not know any of that philosophy, but yeah, mm-hmm. you can still do it. You know, so there, the matter of doing. So now we finally get to the part about Tian Zhao Lin. And uh, so I, that's who we've been technically been trying to talk about. So he says, according to Tian Zhao Lin, he said, during the years I was learning from young John Ho, I punched him in the gut as hard as I could. But just then he made his belly bulge out and I fell down outside into the courtyard. He was still sitting quietly on his chair, smoking his pipe as before, as if unaware that he had moved at all. Later on, I also had a bout with Yang Cheng Fu, in which he hit me in the right ribs, and then my left ribs hurt for over a month. These kind of instances depict unimaginable skill, especially considering that Tian Zhaolin himself is so skillful. With the cleverness of his hands and the heaviness of his power, he is truly no ordinary Taiji boxing exponent, and his skill can be considered his skill can be considered to be beyond our reach. But it is not my purpose here to trumpet his prowess. Everyone's aware of Taiji boxing history and already knows that Tian Zhao Lin's a great master. So uh, that's pretty sick. So yeah, he describes punching Zhang Jing Ho as hard as he could, which knocked him back. And then Yang Cheng Fu smacked him on one side and the pain went all the way out the other side. Yeah. That's uh that's the type of Taiji, you know, I mean, Taiji, there's that heavy whipping effect that Taiji at its best just has that liquefied power that's like a snake or a whip or, I mean, it just, that's the best, man. It's soft, but it's heavy and that's, uh, takes skill, you know, it's, there's something cool about that soft power. Well, and there's that piece of it being a a non-violent martial art in the sense that a big part of the, again, the high level of Tai Chi is actually to do it without hurting the person, right? right? Where in most martial arts, the high level is you hurt them hurt real them bad, <laughs> right? So I, and I, I and don't I think, think Xing Yi has anything about that that I've well, heard. Yet. I was, yeah, I was, see, I was just going to bring up that I think a lot of what, when they talk about the, the, the original Tai Chi form being this, you know, sharp, heavy, short thing i mean they're describing it as the way you would describe xing yi and i think that there's that energy of just i'm not trying to yield to you and push you away from me or trip you up or bounce you i'm trying to you know the minute you get near me i'm gonna hurt you and that that yeah you know and that that's That's kind of this sort of battlefield mentality of of you know it's you or me and it's not going to be me (laughs) and so right oh it's like a different thing than if you're just like hey let's push hands a bit and see who's got more tai chi skill so let's move back to the explanation of the song of the 13 postures as uh discussed by bai hua in his book so we've looked at a few of these quotes about this uh song and so now we've reached the next one it goes like this Pay attention to the relaxing of the waist and abdomen and to the circulation of chi. So that one's pretty short and sweet. And again, I have a feeling this is E, paying attention, directing your awareness. And uh, once again, they're talking about the waist and the abdomen and the circulation of chi, which I feel like we've heard this before. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this is nothing. This isn't shaking anything up, right? Like, this no, is just... it's it's sort of a it's sort of a continuation of the previous one. And yeah, it's, it's because okay, yeah, because um, that one was all about the Dantian moving through right. all the postures, you know, sort of paying attention to mm, and the, the, e. the mind as you move through the postures. Um, and this is kind of taking it a you know another layer into now relax that sense of your waist and your, your right in and feel the the circulation of chi um so there's that you know impl impl implication of of the chi is now doing something it's not right you're not well, just, we are crawling through this set of snails pace. well you're not just feeling that there is chi with your you know it's not mm. your mind doing it now this is now you're moving into the the mind is moving the chi the heart mind thing if you will right mm. the idea that it's it's this more subtle part of your intent where um it's like the the way the way Bruce put it one time at that it's actually from the Donahue thing, but he says the you know consciousness begins before thought, right? That the idea that before you have the thought of I need to lift my hands up, something has to form that thought, right? And and in in this essentially what he's saying is that the thing that forms the thought that pops in your head is your E. Right. And then when mm. it, once it pops into your head, you have to now relax it and circulate it. Right. So this idea of like once that thing wakes up, it surges. It, it um the word he uses uh tempestuous. Mm. Right. <laughs> Which it's like that's a pretty random choice. Tempest tossed and chaotic would but be a word you, you know, use it's there. it's a stormy wind, right? It's yeah. chaotic surging, just you know sort of thing and i and i think that it's the implied is that you have without your mind this is going to be mm -hmm. chaos but right, it's scattered to, around you know all these you have to bring all these different things into you know one to calm it all down and the way to do that to calm down and relax the waist and the abdomen and the movement so he says here it is emphasized that in taiji chuan the source of gene is the dantian, the center of the waist, which is controlled by concentration, E. And only with dominating by concentration can there be a so-called feeling of relaxing the waist and abdomen and moving of the chi. So again, he's, E is the answer to making all the stuff of Tai Chi work. Without that paying attention and that concentration, um, you can't unify everything and thereby the relaxing of the waist and abdomen and the movement of the chi is possible. Like until then you're clumsy, you're clenched, you're disconnected, discombobulated. You've got that chaotic thing he's talking about. Yeah, uh, the I way mean, to create gene, the way to create force, to, you have to use the Dantian. And to use the Dantian, you have to have the awareness of the mind controlling it. Otherwise, you can't create this chain of events, basically. The way I see it is is what he's talking about is there's the difference between relaxing something and really going inside of the thing and letting your mind release, right? That mm. just kind of it's the ice to water, water to gas in a sense. Mm. Is it there's stages there that there's I can feel 
my energy and my Danyan as a relaxed whole, let's call it, right? A, a relaxed piece, a unit, a unified thing of not turbulent energy, right? But that's just the first part of it. There's this second part of being able to really um, sink into it is the way Bruce would always say that, that you're not, um, you're not thinking it anymore. You're, you are it. You're embodying it somehow. And, like and some... the way, the way he always put it was you're now thinking from your Dangit mm. with it. And this is the, the heart mind, right? The, the merging of the conscious mind and the, unconscious mind that you know tells things to do stuff right that that has to happen in your dying and so i think that's really what what i was getting at is yeah, the, that's, that that that's getting hella deep sense of going beyond just relaxing okay I think that's it for today till next time all right see you back here all right man Hey folks, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out the Patreon for the extended episode and the bonus episodes. Uh, also check out our Instagram for images to go along with the episodes. Also, we have a Facebook group. All right, thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and be well.